how to be in Christ, how to live in Christ where we are. And our text this morning will be chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, but I'm going to back up into chapter 2, part of the text we looked at last week, just to get a little bit of context. And so I'm going to begin reading in Colossians chapter 2, verse 20, and we'll read through chapter 3, verse 4. Colossians chapter 2, verse 20. As I read, know that this is the Word of God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used. According to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And now our text for this morning. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Let's pray. Father, what a rich and beautiful text in just a few lines. We have so much of the mystery and beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we come, first of all, as we hear these words and say thank you. Thank you for giving these words to us, but even more than that, thank you for what you have done to make these words possible. And we come not only in gratitude, but we come in dependence asking for you to help us as we dig into the riches of your truth. Would you open it to us? Would you open our eyes and ears and our hearts to receive what is said here and to be changed by it? We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Tommy Tomlinson is a journalist. And he wrote an article for ESPN.com recently. And in that article, he asked this question. He asked, why do we care about sports? Why do we watch sports? And he posed this answer. He said, maybe this, to be connected. To be Connected. We go to the arena, to the stadium, to the sports bar, even to the couch to be connected to something that is bigger than us. I think we see evidence of that longing all around us. I think we see evidence of that longing for connection, uh, not only in sports, but in the arts. And in all types of entertainment, and even in our approach to science. A new television series will premiere this evening. And it's a reboot of Carl Sagan's 
series from the 1980s. It's called Cosmos, A Space-Time Journey. And I can promise you that in that series that talks about the expansiveness of the universe, one of the themes will be how are we connected to that? And I know that because Neil deGrasse Tyson, who will host the show, says that as an astrophysicist, when he looks at the universe, when he considers the universe and all of its mysteries, he does not feel small, he feels large. Because of the link between his molecules and the molecules of distant stars. What is that? It's a desire for connection. We want to be connected to something that is bigger than us. But the problem is the games end. And our human powers of observation are limited. And we are left with that longing. So what do we do with it? Well, we read ancient letters in the Bible. And the ancient letter of Paul to the Colossian church, in many ways, is a book about connection. And we see that in our text this morning at the opening of chapter 3. Paul is seeking, he's trying to attach us to above. Right? He wants to connect us to the things above. Something bigger than us. And something not only bigger than us, but something that is eternal and something that is beyond the human, our human limitations. Paul wants to give us a connection to something bigger than us. And so let's come to these words. Let's bring that longing, that longing that I know that you have. Will you join me in bringing at that to these words? that we find in Colossians chapter 3. And we'll find that these words connect us to something bigger in two ways. These words connect us through participation, and they connect us through union. Participation and union. First of all, participation. The beginning of chapter 3, Paul transitions in this letter. And he transitions from attack mode to instruction mode. And we've seen this in chapter 2, how Paul is contesting false and powerless visions of life. And he is saying, reject those visions and rather cling to Christ. But at the beginning of chapter 3, it's as if he hears our question. Well, wait a second, Paul, what does that mean? What does it mean to cling to Christ? What does it mean to live that vision of life? And so hearing that question from us, he transitions to instruction mode at the beginning of chapter 3. And he teaches us what it means to live a life clinging to Jesus. And he gives us two commands at the beginning of this chapter, and essentially they're the same command. He says, seek the things that are above. And then he says, set your mind on things that are above. Now, understand that mind here involves our thoughts, but it includes more than our thoughts. For Paul to talk about the mind, he's talking about, yes, the way that we think, but also our will, our desires. And so he is saying, 
orient your life, direct your life towards the things that are above. But what does that mean? What's above? Well, notice how he defines above here. He defines above as the place where Jesus sits at the right hand of God. Now, this picture is taken from an Old Testament poem. It's a song that we find in Psalm 110. And that poem opens this way. It says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand. So the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, covenant deity of Israel, creator of all things, that Lord said to my Lord, small letter L-O-R-D, the king, the descendant of David, that Lord said to this Lord, sit at my right hand. What that expresses is an expectation in the Old Testament that there is a ruler who will come. And that ruler will be a descendant of David, and that ruler will represent the right hand of God. And the right hand of God is is not only God's authority, it's not only prestige and privilege, but it's also the power of God exercised on behalf of his people. It is the liberating power of God. So when God rescues Israel from Egypt, he does it, Scripture tells us, with his right hand. So the people of the Old Testament, they look forward to this time when a king would come who would represent that kind of power, the liberating power of God on behalf of his people. And Paul, along with the rest of the New Testament, says Jesus is that king. Jesus is the expected ruler who represents the right hand of God. But he is the expected king in unexpected ways. Because Jesus is Lord in both ways. Jesus is capital L-O-R-D, Lord. He is the divine king, become the small little letter L-O-R-D. Because he is the divine king taken on the flesh of a descendant of David. Through his death and resurrection, he brings the liberating and life-giving rule of God into the world. That's what's above. Paul directs our vision there. But that's not all that's above. You see that poem, Psalm 110? It keeps going. And it talks not only about a king, but it says because the king has been enthroned, he has brought into being a people, a community. And in a beautiful line, it says, this people, they are born from the womb of the dawn. They are the people of light. And it says that they are arrayed in splendor. And this is military imagery. They're arrayed in armor. 
So the king has been enthroned and he has brought into being a people of light who will carry out his mission in the world. Who will do his will in the world. That's also what is above. It is not only an enthroned king, but it is a people It is us who, when Jesus, have been made the people of the light and who have been given the mission to bring that light into this world. So understand, above is not heaven where you go when you die. Above is heaven where Jesus sits and pours out his life into this world through us, those who belong to him. So to seek above is not to seek to go to heaven. It is to seek heaven coming to earth. As Christ's rule comes in our lives and through our lives. So when he contrasts things above and things on earth, it's not physical and spiritual. It is rejection versus participation. It is this question, will you direct your life towards rejecting God's work through Jesus Christ or towards participating in God's work through Jesus Christ, bringing his life and his light into your life and through your life into this world? Will you participate? You know what this is like? This is a a little bit like the ancient art of karaoke. (laughs) Why does karaoke exist? It exists because we want to be more than spectators. And that's what Paul is doing here. He is handing you the mic. And he is saying, be more than a spectator. Be more than a spectator. Participate with your life in the things above, in the agenda of heaven for this world. And that is such an important message for us. And that is such an important message for us, especially in Tallahassee, Florida. Because you know what the danger to Christianity is in Tallahassee, Florida? The biggest danger to Christianity here in our place is not militant secularism. The biggest danger to Christianity in our place is that Christianity has become a consumer good. It's become a performance that we consume once a week. And maybe it gives us a little inspiration. And if we get bored with the performance at one place, then we go to the other place. And we live as spectators. Paul hands us the mic. He hands you the mic. And he invites us out of that. He calls us out of that. And he says, don't consume participate. 
And that call is not just for Sunday. It is for Monday to Saturday. That call is not just for summer missions trips. That call is for your daily vocation. That call is not just for your quiet time. It is for washing the dishes time. And spending time with your friends and your family. A call is not just for your once a week community group. It is for all of your relationships. To seek the agenda of heaven. To seek the will of the enthroned Christ for all of your life. John Calvin says that the Christian life, the goal of the Christian life is to make visible the invisible kingdom. He got what Paul was saying in Colossians chapter 3. The goal of our lives as individuals and as a community is to make visible the invisible kingdom. One practical example. When I go to my wife and I say, Jessica, I was wrong. I'm sorry Please forgive me, which I have to do often and should do more. All right? When I say that, and then she says to me, I forgive you, and we work to resolve the conflict in our relationship, we are making visible the invisible kingdom. Why? Well, what has Paul told us about the enthroned king, the enthroned Christ? What does he do? He reconciles, this is from chapter 1, He reconciles all things. So when Jess and I work to reconcile our marriage, we participate in the cosmic work of reconciliation that Jesus is doing from heaven, seated at the right hand of God, even now. Will you let this text connect you to something bigger? Will you let this text call you out of your consumer Christianity and call you into participation to consider in all of your life how can I seek the things that are above? Now I hope that challenges you, but I also hope that you feel the impossibility of that. Because if you hear that and you're like, yeah, let's do it. Let's start a program. Let's make a plan. Let's get it done. You have misheard me. Because this work, it's impossible. And so we have to ask the question, how are we able to do this? How are we able to participate in heaven coming to earth? How are we able to seek the things that are above? And when we ask that question and we come to this text, we realize that uh, Paul connects us not only through participation, but he connects us through union. You see, participation is possible because of two little words in Colossians chapter 3. The word if in verse 1, and the word for at the beginning of verse 3. If you have been raised with Christ, then seek the things that are above. 
Set your mind on things that are above. How? Well, because you have died with Christ. So, because you are connected to the death and resurrection of Jesus, that is why you can participate in his work. This is what our theological tradition calls union with Christ. Union with Christ. If we have believed in Jesus and belong to him by faith, then what's his is ours. And especially his death and resurrection. We are connected to those so that in him we die and rise. I love the image that Paul uses for this here. Verses 3 and 4, he says, Your life is hidden with Christ. You are hidden with Christ. And when He is revealed, you will appear with Him. It's a beautiful image. And it's not the first time that Paul has used the language of hidden and revealed. Or hidden and appeared. In chapter three, or in chapter 1, he talks about Jesus and what Jesus has accomplished as a mystery. You've been with us, you remember that? He says, what Jesus has accomplished through his death and resurrection, it is a, it's a mystery. And we saw that it is a mystery of glory. Because we were made to dwell with God's glory, we were made to dwell in his presence, and we were made to reflect his glory, to reflect his goodness. But because of sin, we, we lost that glory. So the mystery of the Old Testament, the question that builds throughout the Old Testament, is how will God restore us to that? It's the mystery of how will God restore us to the glory for which we were made. And Paul says Jesus is the answer. Jesus and his work, it solves that mystery. Because it is a mystery that was Hidden, same word from our text, and it is a mystery that in Jesus is now revealed. Same word for appear in our text. So do you see the point of this repetition? you see what Paul is doing here? He's saying there is this great story that is happening. It is the story of God through Jesus Christ restoring all things to the purpose for which he made them. And you are a part of it. You're a part of this story. You are a part of the mystery hidden in Christ and revealed in Him. And you are so much a part of the story that the shape of His story becomes the outline of your life. The shape of His story becomes the outline of your life. Death. Death to the past. Death to the enslaving power of sin. Resurrection. Now. Right now. Alive in Him so that you are empowered to seek the agenda of heaven. And not only resurrection now, but resurrection in the future. Where you will be revealed 
and Jesus will prove that you belong to God's glorious future. The shape of his story is the outline of your life. And think about how the Colossian church would have heard this. Think about the situation of the Colossian church. You see, in becoming Christians, they had embraced an identity that put them outside of the privileges of accepted religion and accepted politics. And so they lived hidden lives. They lived lives that were of no consequence to their culture, it seemed. They lived lives that didn't matter, or in some cases, lives that were actively opposed. So do you hear what Paul says to them? He says, yes, you're hidden. You are hidden. But you are hidden in Christ. The one who has conquered the power of death and evil and who is renewing all of creation. You are hidden, yes, but you are hidden in Him. What a gift of dignity. And what a gift of empowerment for seeking the things that are above. And that gift was not only for them, but that gift is for you. That gift, the gift of union with Christ, is yours. So that His death is yours, and His life is yours. And union with Christ makes possible participation in Christ's kingdom. We are able to participate in the kingdom because we are in union with the king. So think about this question with me for just a minute. In your life, how does union with Christ address the impossibility of participating in His kingdom? How does union with Christ address the impossibility, the seeming impossibility of participating in His kingdom? So, when you hear the call, seek the things that are above. And then you look at the daily grind of your life. Do you feel confused? Do you think, I I don't even know where to start. I have no idea how to do that. Well, know that you are hidden in Christ. And Paul tells us that Christ is full of the riches of knowledge and wisdom. The skill to be able to live out this vision... He is full. He is overflowing with those riches. And He died and rose in order to open the treasure chest for you. He died and rose so that you could die to foolishness and ignorance and live into His wisdom. Is there a relationship in your life? Is there a conflict in your relational world? friend, spouse, 
parent-child work relationship? Is there a conflict that seems unresolvable? Know that you are hidden in Christ. Know that you are hidden in the one who died and rose to reconcile all things. Know that you are hidden in the one who died and rose so that you could die to bitterness and live forgiveness. Is there change that you want? Is there a pattern of sin in your life that feels unbreakable? Know that you are hidden in Christ. Know that you are hidden in the one who died and rose to break not only the power of sin, but the power of death. The one who died and rose so that you could die to slavery and live to freedom. You are hidden with Christ. His death is yours. And that means that you have died to the past and all of the failures of the past. But his life is also yours. And that means you have resurrection now and resurrection in the future. So listen, don't live in passive cynicism. Live in active hope because you are hidden in him. The article I mentioned earlier by Tommy Tomlinson, where he asked the question, why do we watch sports, is a story about Dean Smith, the former legendary basketball coach of the University of North Carolina, who lives his life now in the late stages of dementia. And the story talks about, and it draws out the sad irony of this man who lived for the connection of sports, now lives much of his life disconnected. Disconnected from the world around him. Disconnected even from those whom he loves the most. Except there are moments. There are moments when he awakens out of the dementia. And Tomlinson tells the story of one of those moments. A friend was over at Smith's house, and he was playing songs on the guitar. Because a lot of times he'll wake up to those songs that he knew from his youth. And he played all the songs that he thought he knew, and nothing worked. And everybody was getting restless. And then the friend decided to play one more song before he left and went home. And he played the alma mater of the University of North Carolina, the song that is played at the end of every... North Carolina basketball game. And as he started the song, Smith's eyes opened, and he stood up and he put his hand over his heart, and he sang the entire song, Word Perfect, by memory. That's something of what I want this morning. Because we live with spiritual dementia. We forget who we are in Jesus, And because we live with dementia, we are disconnected from the life that he calls us to. And so will you hear the music? Will you hear the song that Paul sings? And will you let it connect you?
will you let it awaken your memory that you are hidden with Christ. And as it awakens your memory, will you let it lead you to stand and to sing and to give your life to the song of Christ's kingdom? Let's pray.